for the herds that haven't been exposed, we certainly want to be careful with the bio-exclusion and continue to make sure that we're doing everything we can there. And for the herds that have turned positive, uh, we want to work on the biocontainment and, and make sure that we're not um, carrying that virus around to places we don't want. And uh, so I think those are uh, important factors. Uh, I think um, as you, uh, uh, if you've had a positive herd and had a break, um, then working your way back to uh, getting the field virus out of the herd is an important piece and just continuing to use the tools we have to help monitor. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like MS Gold, the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Swine management to the next level. Cloudfarms.com. Ivonic. We are sciencing the global food challenge. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. This episode's sponsored highlight is about AB Vista, an animal nutrition technology company offering innovative products and new applications for the swine industry. The combination of AB Vista enzymes, technical services, and nutrition expertise provides the industry with new opportunities to further improve production efficiencies. Fiber is receiving renewed interest due to its influence on the microbiome, and AB Vista has brought together research experts to discuss the industry's knowledge of fiber functionality and to introduce a stimbiotic targeted to improve fiber digestion. To request access, contact NAM at abvista.com. That's N-A-M at abvista.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Reiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Paul Yeski from Swine Vet Center. How are you today, Paul? Doing well. Uh, enjoying the cool weather. Yes. <laughs> Maybe a little too cool for us, but... Yeah, it's, a, it's actually cold, but... <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on today. And, and I know we just kind of caught up at Iowa Congress, but I think this is really a great opportunity for us to visit... Uh, today and talk about some things that, that we do think about when it's this cold, when it's winter time, and that'll be PERS, uh, of course, which is a big topic for everybody. Um, but before I jump into that, uh, maybe I'll have you give a little bit of an introduction to the audience in case there are some who aren't familiar with you. Sure. Uh, I'm Paul Yeski from the Swine Vet Center in St. Peter, Minnesota. Uh, we have a swine-only uh, practice where we just do pigs. And we have 15 veterinarians in the in the practice, and we work primarily in the Midwest, uh, with the majority of the work being in Iowa, Minnesota, and Iowa, but uh, throughout the Midwest. So uh, we um, unfortunately get to have our our share of exposure and uh, uh, exposure to PERS over the course of time, just based on geography. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and I think this is. And I know you've done some work in the past, a lot of work actually in PERS and, and different parts of that in terms of exposures and, and wean to finish management as well as in the sows. Um, so I think maybe we'll start with just kind of where are we at today? We're, we're midwinter. Um, you know, what are we seeing? What are we hearing in terms of the first migration, strains, et cetera? Sure. Yep. 
and uh, things kind of started uh, as we got into November and we started seeing more activity uh, in November and kind of heated up through December. And uh, as we got into some of the colder weather here in January, uh, seems to have leveled off a little bit. So hopefully uh, we can knock on some wood and, and, and hope that continues. Uh, but oftentimes that's what we've seen. Uh, it started out as we look at the um, uh, Morrison Swine Health Monitoring Project, uh, you know, showed a real steep, steep slope through that time frame. And the Morrison Swine Health Project is looking at um, uh, reported disease outbreaks. And so that's South Farms. And they're reporting that they're seeing clinical signs. And so that's what that database tells us. And Iowa State also does the swine disease swine disease reporting service. And uh, in, the, in that report, uh, they're looking at diagnostic data. And so they're using the information coming through the diagnostic lab. So it's somewhat biased to uh, the cases coming to the diagnostic lab because they're reporting on what's happening. Uh, but they're showing a, a similar type trend uh, where the numbers really went up. And the interesting thing with the uh, SDRS report is that uh, it breaks it down into uh, various age ranges. So they have weaned to market and sows. And uh, what we've been seeing over the last four years is that the uh, weaned to market, um, we see that leading about one month ahead of the sows. And so we saw that going up. Uh, at the end of September, October, and then the sows followed along in November, December. And so, um, again, those two things kind of happening at the same time, uh, as well as influenza. Um, and so those the, the nice thing about the SDRS is they're also monitoring other diseases, and it showed that influenza was going up in the same time frame. And so uh, I think those things all correlate well, and I think the Morrison Swine Health Monitoring Project and the SDRS together uh, give us uh, a real good look at the industry in a couple different ways. Uh, what I like about it is we got two different tools giving us similar answers. Uh, and so one's reported, one's diagnostic data. They each have their biases, uh, but they're telling us kind of the same thing and uh, telling us that that trend is, is up. Uh, fortunately, if we look at the SDRS, it looks like we've kind of turned that corner down. And the same thing on the Morrison Swine Health Monitoring Project kind of leveled out. And so hopefully as we go on into winter now, uh, we won't see as much activity, but there's certainly been enough. Yes. And so if we compare that to other years, do you kind of have an idea of where we're at in terms of pigs affected by, by PERS this year? I know some years we say it's more PERS heavy than other years, and I haven't really heard the status yet for this year. Yeah, I'd, I'd say we're about on track for where we've been in previous years. Um, and, uh, what, what I'd say, if we look at both those reports, they would tell us that, uh, uh, those curves are continuing to move up over time. Uh, so we're having more herds spend more time being positive, uh, whether you look at the SDRS or whether you look at the Morrison Swine Health Monitoring Project, um, both those are telling us we're having, and particularly on the Morrison Swine Health Monitoring Project. Uh, we're seeing more far, more herds live in that ASV category one, which would be PERS active. And so that uh, area of red under the curve continues to stay red redder. And uh, we used to see it be more seasonal and fluctuate up and down. Uh, but now we're seeing more herds stay there. And so I think it's just telling us there's uh, some more activity and more ongoing activity over time. And so um, 
I think that's a part of um, a part of what we're seeing across the industry. And the the one four four L one C, you know, certainly <clears throat> has continued to be uh, the most frequent one when we look on the SDRS report as far as what's the most frequent cut pattern. Uh, there's a one four two L one C again similar. Uh, starting to show uh, show up, and uh, it's also being very uh, very similar clinically to the one four four. So uh, they're not that far apart genetically, and they're acting fairly similar similarly uh, from a clinical standpoint. Uh, so it's just telling us that the virus is continuing to shift and uh, shift and mutate, and um, and so continuing to try to evoke. It, avoid the immune system and, and what we're trying to do to prevent it. Yeah, absolutely. So when you mentioned clinical signs, what are the common clinical signs for this um, strain population? I know some years it's more sow mortality, some years it's piglets. Where What are we seeing in terms of clinicals here? It's um, it's still showing us uh, what we typically see for PERS. The, uh, usually we'll see it uh, as uh, an abortions first. Uh, well, abortions to uh, high pre-weaning mortality kind of depends upon where it shows up in the farm. Uh, but I'd say typically we see it animals off-feed, abortions, and then we'll see the stillborns, mummies tend to follow. Um, and so um, the pre-weaning mortality, uh, with these particular strains, the pre-weaning mortalities have been fairly significant. Um, and the abortion rate may vary from herd to herd, uh, may vary a little bit on previous exposure if there's some immunity in the south farm or no immunity in the south farm, uh, and it varies from herd to herd. Uh, we did a comparison on the 144 L1Cs, and we looked at uh, 10 different herds, and uh, they, they certainly had different production outcomes. Um, and so there's some variation in herds, uh, even, even with similar type viruses. So uh, there's always that herd to herd component, uh, but uh, certainly... Uh, what we've seen again here is uh, some of the more where we see the abortions and then followed up by the high pre-weaning mortality. The piglet diarrhea leads to high pre-weaning mortality. And then the herds do tend to stabilize, or the herds will stabilize over time. And uh, then we get back to where we're farrowing good pigs and increased number of mummies for about that 12-week period of time uh, after the outbreak. And then we see the total born dip off for about that next four weeks. And then we get back to the animals that were bred after the outbreak. And so uh, we see the high number of mummies, then the lower total born. Those were mummies that were just lost before they uh, could be mummified. Uh, so it's total born lost before they could be mummified. So the, it's really a similar trend. Uh, but then once we get through that time frame, those herds will rebound back to, back to normal. Okay. So maybe let's talk a little bit now about um, what do we do if we have a break? So or maybe let's, we'll go one step for that. Let's talk about how we prevent a break. There you go. Uh, what are some, <laughs> some common practices that we could do to try to prevent or potentially mitigate if we do have a PERS infection to kind of mitigate that viral clinical signs that we might see in the virus? Yeah, absolutely. Um, certainly, uh, biosecurity is a term that everybody's aware of. And uh, as we think about biosecurity, biosecurity for me uh, lives in, in two components. And the one that used to, that everyone's used to thinking about is the bio exclusion. How do we keep it out? And, um, 
And I'll talk a little bit about the other hand uh, as biocontainment once you have an outbreak. Uh, but the bioexclusion is uh, certainly the one that everybody thinks about. And, um, you know, being able to uh, reduce our opportunities to uh, bring the pathogen in. And I think Dr. Holkamp um, has, a, with his PERS outbreak investigations, has done a good job of defining what really takes three mistakes. Uh, we have to have the pathogen present. We have to take it to the farm. And then we have to introduce it to the pigs. And so um, there's three things that have to happen. It's not as simple as one. And so uh, as we go back to look at those uh, things, what are the mitigation steps we can put in place to avoid it if it comes to the farm? And then if it has come to the farm, how do we keep it from the pigs? And so I think going back and reviewing some of those things, you know, certainly the bench procedures, I think, uh, is a technology that we can use throughout the, uh, both on the south farms and on the grow finish. I think it's practical there um, on the grow finish where sometimes showers aren't always but I think the bench technology is something that uh, can be done and, and can be done uh, without, uh, we just have to have the resources there to, to be able to do it, the coveralls and boots to put on once we cross the bench and to make sure that we leave those things in, in the farm. And so, uh, again, I think those are opportunities for us uh, from that um, bio-exclusion, you know, certainly, uh, the ultimate bioexclusion is to have the filtration, and uh, we know that that's not perfect. Uh, we know there's still outbreaks, but there's certainly a lot less uh, frequent events. Even even with some of these newer strains, uh, we're seeing a, a good reduction in the uh, number of outbreaks with the filters. So the filters still being effective, but uh, with the higher viral numbers that these new strains are producing, it's making a little bit more opportunity for the viruses to get around our our systems. And so, uh, again, the filtration is probably the ultimate. It's not only the filters doing the job, but generally those farms have a very high uh, level of execution on how they bring in products, how they load out procedures, and they have specific loadout rooms and uh, loadout procedures to make sure that we're not uh, uh, getting contaminated in those processes. And uh, again, those are uh, we could spend a couple hours talking about how to do it properly. Uh, but I, I do think there's some uh, good information and background there that uh, uh, people can go take a look at. Uh, but that's kind of the ultimate bio-exclusion package where you have the filters to uh, work on the air in the air coming into the farm. We got to work on the products. We got to work on the people. We got to work on the products that are leaving the farm, uh, the pigs, the more the, the the pigs going out to the wean to finish, uh, the mortalities going out to the composter, the um, the the um, the garbage, all the things that have to come out of the farm, and so we have to make sure we've got a good plan and good execution around those to make sure we're controlling as much as we can. And if we don't have uh, the opportunity to have filtration, for example, then trying to manage the immunity. Uh, utilizing vaccine and trying to uh, at least give ourselves some protection on those animals when they're going to see when they're going to see a strain uh, when they're going to see a field strain come in and the field strain certainly um, is is going to be a challenge even if we're vaccinated but again helps those herds to rebound better and quicker return I, I think the inform the data would share show that. Uh, you return to baseline production a little faster. And so that's part of what you're trying to 
trying to do is get back to baseline production. Um, my bias is uh, whenever we have these outbreaks is to uh, work on trying to get the field virus back out of the farm and uh, as relatively quickly as we can. Uh, we know that the herd closure has been a good method and having the herd closure for that uh, 210 plus days, uh, oftentimes 240, um, where we uh, load up the herd with as many animals as we can, we expose the herd, and then we spare our inventory to make sure we keep as many animals as we can through that closure time frame. And then monitoring the piglets with, uh, we've got more tools today. The processing fluids, I think, help us uh, know what's happening uh, in the sow herd. Um, and then also monitoring the wean pigs to know when they're going negative because we've had situations where we get processing negative, but wean pigs positive and it's staying in the farrowing house by uh, some of the um, things we're doing in farrowing. And so that's how we can use those two tools together. Uh, a new tool that's come up and I'm kind of excited about it. it's a little early. The tongue tips may be a way for us to monitor gestation. And um, by looking at those gives us an idea what that status is in the gestating pigs if we look at the stillborns, uh, because the stillborns uh, give us a good look at that in utero as best we can. And uh, I keep challenging um, uh, the researchers to go back and figure out a better way to monitor gestation. And so hopefully we'll get some new tools there, but uh, at least we got another tool to give us an idea of what we can do. If we're, if we're getting positive or negative processing fluids of positive weaning, in some cases we've done some wean downs, uh, gives you more time to clean up the rooms, more, less animals on site. And so some herds we've been able to, um, to break the cycle using that. Um, and so there's multiple different ways to clean up and each herd's going to have its own, um, unique issues and concerns. Uh, that have to be addressed. And so every plan kind of needs to be tailored to that specific herd and uh, what the goals are of the system. But I think long-term, um, as as an industry, we still want to get the field virus out of the herd because we know uh, that performance is better when we can get that out of the system and, and get the pigs back to performing more like, more like we'd expect. Uh, one aspect of the biosecurity I talked about was biocontainment. <clears throat> And so when we have a positive herd, um, you know, we oftentimes think of how to keep it out, but we also then, once we have it, we have to figure out how to not carry it somewhere else and keep it within the herd. And so uh, making sure that uh, we do the things that we can do internally to make sure we're not taking it downstream, how we handle the compost. Uh, you know, we're going to be handling lots of mortalities in those in the outbreak time frame. And so we got to make sure that we clean up good after handling the compost and uh, not just jump in our vehicle and go home. Uh, same thing with showering, making sure we shower out, change out, all those things. Same thing on wean to finish, uh, as we discussed with the bench, making sure we don't carry it off the site. And so uh, I think that's as important a factor as the bio-exclusion. Uh, I, I think sometimes it gets lost in the shuffle with everything else just because we're trying to uh, focus all on the bio-exclusion, but we also have to focus on the biocontainment on the positive sites to make sure we're not moving it, moving it through the systems. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. So you, I'm going to kind of back up a little bit in some of that conversation. You mentioned some new technology in gestation, and some people may not be familiar with what you're talking about. So maybe 
just describe it a little bit more in detail as to what what that would be doing in, in terms of samples they would take and then what they would get for a measurement. You bet. Um, yeah, the tongue tips uh, came from Europe, actually, where uh, they don't have processing fluids because they don't castrate and they don't dock tails. And so um, they started collecting the tongue tongue tips from the mortalities. And so uh, they uh, harvest the tongue uh, from the from the mortality pigs. And one of the things we've looked at to try and sort that out a little bit more is to look at the stillborns to try and assess gestation status. And we can use the the uh, pre-weaning mortality pigs to kind of mirror up with processing fluids. And what we've seen in some of the initial uh, research that uh, Dr. Linares and uh, uh, his graduate student has been doing have, um, uh, have told us that... Um, those two follow very closely the mortality and the processing fluids have matched up well. Uh, Isadora's done her work there and, and showing that. And the um, the stillborns are giving us a way to look at that end of gestation, at least, to know where those statuses are. And um, they're fairly fairly easy samples to get uh, once you get trained on how to collect them. And, um, and they're uh, very similar, they act very similar to processing fluids. So uh, you collect them in the bag, you get the the uh, fluid that comes, uh, it works best to freeze them, and uh, then you get the fluid that comes out of the, the cut surface tissue, and uh, then you can go ahead and test that just like we do the processing fluids. Okay, perfect. You also mentioned you, you want to get that virus through the herd as quickly as possible, so I want to visit that for a moment. Um we can go through probably lots of conversation and certainly longer than a half hour. But um, when we're talking about that, are we talking about implementing like rebel programs? Are we doing serum exposures? What types of procedures do you typically like to see done when we try to get that virus out of the herd quickly besides locking down the facility? Yeah, typically what we've done is to, uh, to get as much inventory into the herd as we can so we can maintain inventory. And then we uh, do do an exposure uh, via the uh, virus that's on site, um, and generally that would be through a serum exposure uh, to the herd uh, to get everybody standardized. And then once we've standardized, we um, lock the door or close the herd, and then we start using the diagnostics. And I think uh, the processing fluids have been a good tool to tell us when we really need to be intense about our uh, McRebel procedures. And so once we get to where we're getting negative processing fluids and they're starting to come through, uh, then it's worthy to go ahead and start implementing those stricter McRebel procedures. And up until that time frame, we're probably uh, better off to be saving pigs and at least get the pigs through the system that we can. And then once we get to the the processing fluids are giving us the signals that it's time to work to see if we can get the virus out. Then we can be more aggressive uh, with the McRebel and uh, work to push the virus off the farm. And so every herd's going to have its own its own timeline, and uh, you can kind of follow the diagnostics to help that. Uh, looking at the production records, uh, I think um, uh, Dr. Linares and their group. Uh, Giovanni's done some looking at uh, different productivity parameters, and looking at those parameters have been helpful to say, yeah, it looks like the herd is stabilizing. We're returning to baseline. 
Uh, we're starting to see the conception rates come back. And so that's a, it's not the same as diagnostics, but at least tells you you're headed in the right direction. And so I, I think that's one of those tools that we can also use to say, yeah, it looks like we're headed headed to the right time frame. And that, along with your diagnostics, can tell you it's time to be more aggressive with the McRebel and try and push the virus off the farm. And then, then we may, uh, depending upon how things go, may have to be more strict or less strict, uh, depending upon the virus and the testing and the herd immunity. Uh, all those things are factors. Um and then uh, we we custom fit that to the farm, and then we work to get that out of the out of the grow finish. And what you see on the wean to finish side is you'll see that um, that serial conversion or the pigs turning positive continue to move older and older as you get more stable. And so that's another sign that can tell you you're headed in the right direction. So if the pigs are crashing right away after weaning, you got a lot of virus. Uh, if you're waiting till the end of nursery. Uh, the virus is coming under control. You're getting less and less virus out of the system. And if it's hitting early finishing, you're very close to pushing it off the farm. And so those are some things that can also help you along with the diagnostics to know, to, to feel like you're headed in the right direction. Yes. Yeah. One of the other things that kind of pops into my mind too is, um, so we know people can move it within the barn and equipment. And so when we're trying to, to clean virus out, we have to be very careful of that. But what about the manure? Are there any current suggestions on how to handle manure management during that time when you're trying to clean out a farm? Yep, it is a concern. Um, you know, I think we got to think about what's the highest risk animal we deal with. And, and so if the wean pigs are positive and the processing fluids are negative, every time we touch the wean pigs, we're handling the, uh, the highest amount of virus on the farm pigs. And so we got to think about that. And so we'll oftentimes change loadout, uh, have different uh, coveralls, boots, wash our hands, clean up good after we wean because everybody wants to wean right away in the morning, get that job done. And so uh, we got to be careful there. Uh, but to get to your question, so I do think that washing down those hallways and handling those pigs is a way that we can, whether it's saliva, whether it's manure, however that's being shed, that's a, a way we can carry it around the farm. And so we know that in manure, it doesn't survive uh, a real long time in the research work that's been done. Um, and it's still a, still a big question <laughs> across the industry. But uh, the, the research would say that it doesn't survive a long time in the manure, uh, but it's always a question. And we try and avoid the contamination uh, with the pits, certainly, as we go through the cleanup process and make sure we're doing plenty of washing and disinfecting along the way uh, to just reduce those odds. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that the herd closures are about 210 to 240 days. And so that's generally what we wait about a month of having good negative samples throughout before we open that herd. Or is that a different time frame than what I'm thinking? Yeah, people have different uh, different rules. Some people use three monthly negative tests. Some people use six weekly negative tests, higher numbers. Uh, I think you just need to figure out what's worked for you uh, in your system. And uh, I think more uh, time is your friend. And so more time negative is always good. And so uh, the more time you can get, the better. Um, the, the biggest challenge is maintaining herd inventory. And so that's one of the uh, challenges that I would say over time has been the biggest concern is, um, you know, if we've loaded up the herd and we get the inventory to where 
uh, we're comfortable on inventory, then we've got a spare inventory. Uh, yeah, I'd like to call that Sal, but nope, she's going to get another letter because um, I, I need to have somebody in that place. And uh, where I see herds get into trouble is they oftentimes, uh, they don't start that inventory sparing early enough. And once you're behind, you're, you're behind and you can't catch up. And so um, I think that's one of the keys that have helped people be successful is just making sure they spare that inventory as they get to the end of the closure. Uh, because we're talking about we can load up the inventory, and sometimes uh, that's easier in some herds than others uh, because of space re uh, requirements. And uh, when we talk about doing uh, eight-month closure or 240 days, the pigs we need aren't even born <laughs> for the gilts. And so uh, it's kind of hard to save them when they're not even there. Uh, but uh, you have to save some older ones. And you can skip some animals to fill those gaps. And uh, again, sparing that inventory at the back end are some of the tools that can help make you through that process without uh, necessarily hurting production a lot. Okay. Yeah, it's probably perfect. never perfect. <laughs> no, it never is. But that's, those are really great tips and tricks, I think, for conversation around PERS and PERS management and certainly uh, very timely for the time of year that we're going through. And um and again, I thank you for all of those those key points. Um, we're kind of wrapping up our time on, on the actual key topic. So maybe I'll ask you to summarize or give just a couple of, of quick take-home messages that you would like our audience to be thinking about. Yeah, I think uh, probably the, the most important thing is to continue to stay focused on the biosecurity, uh, both uh, for, the, for the herds that haven't been exposed. We certainly want to be careful with the bio-exclusion and continue to make sure that we're doing everything we can there. And for the herds that have turned positive, uh, we want to work on the biocontainment and, and make sure that we're not um, carrying that virus around to places we don't want. And uh, so I think those are uh, important factors. Uh, I think um, as you, uh, uh, if you've had a positive herd and had a break, um, then working your way back to uh, getting the field virus out of the herd is an important piece and just continuing to use the tools we have to help monitor and, and give yourself some milestones to say, uh, are we making progress or, or, or are we as we go forward? And, uh, and then uh, to uh, help keep the morale on the system because it can be kind of a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect. It is time to our famous three. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Genesis, the first power in genetics, AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production, Eastman Animal Nutrition. Visit EASTMAN.com. Adiseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. Curious to discover if you can manage your animal data and team's work with the touch of a finger? Some of the best and largest pig farm holdings worldwide use cloud farms to collect and analyze data like never before. How? With the most advanced mobile app to collect data accurately and super fast. For breeding, farrowing, weaning, and finishing. Also, this is the easiest way to assign tasks to your team and motivate to work more efficiently. You instantly understand what gets done on time and what doesn't. So yes, you can manage your animal data with the touch of a finger.
One of the things we like to do as we wrap up our conversation is ask our speakers just a couple of questions that are common across everybody. The first question we like to ask is, do you have a swine resource that you would recommend to the listeners? Yeah, I um, I, I use a number of different resources, um, but uh, I, I still go back to the Journal of Swine Health and Production for some of the more recent stuff. Um, and uh, amazingly, as many times as I come back to it, disease of swine is still a good, good reference. And so, uh, but swine health and production would be where I'm looking for new trends and new things happening. And there's certainly lots of uh, publications coming out. Uh, you know, like I talked about the um, Morrison Swine Health Monitoring Project, the SDRS reports, uh, all those things I think are good to give us a broad, broad perspective of what's happening out in the industry, not just your backyard. Right. Yeah. Perfect. How about something that you would recommend to the audience that's not pig-related? Are there any good books you're reading that you might want to share? Yeah, I was uh, at Iowa Pork, and I went to the uh, conference. I, I'd been reading the book, and I went to the uh, uh, the session on the uh, the trusted edge and um, and uh, the theory of trust. And uh, so I think that's been a um, it's enlightening to, to to go ahead and think about. There's lots of good uh, take-home messages, not only for uh, work in the work in the pig barns, but probably for our own selves, our own lives as well. So, yeah, very good. The last question we like to ask is: If you could think of somebody in your life that that you have defined as successful, what would be a key trait that they possess that you think has allowed them to be successful? Yeah, I think um, the people that uh, communicate well uh, certainly uh, is a big part, and. Uh, the ones that have lots of curiosity <laughs> uh, of of asking questions and and not being afraid to ask questions, not only of the the people they work with, uh, but their peers, and uh, trying to always be in that learning mode and uh, trying to understand as, as much as they can. And so I, I think the people that have that uh, inquisitive nature and, and uh, uh, continue to ask lots of questions are always. Uh, have always been able to be do a good job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We talk about the open mindset a lot, and we hear that uh, from many of our, our speakers as well. So I think that is a very good trait to have to be successful, either in your job or in your life. So very good. Well, Dr. Yeski, I do want to thank you again for your time. For our listeners, again, this is Dr. Paul Yeski from the Swine Vet Center. Thank you again so much. It was a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.